Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Sunday uh, close to the afternoon. And let me see if I can um, take another shot at the uh, bio that I started last week of the Chut Hashani, which uh, came out, as I said, a nice addition and really uh, got my interest. I like it when they get these new additions. We're talking over here about uh, the grand, to put it in language that you'll understand, the father and grandfather of the Chavis Yar. Um, this is being sponsored uh, today by uh, Yaakov Shapiro, by Johnson Shapiro over in New Jersey. Uh, in uh, let, let's put it this way, Lilo Nishmas Yehuda Ben Yaakov, and uh, that's the father, as I understand it, of uh, Pinchas Treisman Peter. These these guys are in West Orange, and so tomorrow's the father's yard sale. But I know that Pinchas himself is in facing a very uh, tough health challenge. Let's put it that way, difficult machlo, and so I really wish him a full shlema with a full heart, and uh, I hope. You know, that there can be a refu and a turnaround and all the rest of it. So this is also for a foolish lemma for Pinchas Aaron ben Sarbasha over in New Jersey. Uh, let's hope, you know, that especially in month of El, miracles do happen. So uh, thank you. Now, um, let me get to the uh, subject over here. Uh, last time I got wrapped up, nothing wrong with it, in, in one of the interesting shows about that Kohen thing. You know, and now he wants to renounce him being a coin and all the rest of it. Um, okay, uh, that's that. And there's another one or two interesting ones in the Chudashani also today. Maybe I talk, but let me speak about the family itself. I did the Chavis here long ago, and especially if you do the Chavis here, you do the mother. So basically, we're talking about three guys now a grandfather, a son, and a grandson. Um, the grandfather was Avram Shmuel, as I said. The son was Moshe Shimshin, and the grandson is Yoyer Chaim, who you know as the Chavis Yor. Um, but the Chavis Yor also collected and published in this child's Tubas Chutashani the stuff from his grandfather and father. That's that's how it survives literarily. <laughs> and uh, as, uh, it, and what's, let me put, what's uh, interesting, how should I approach this? First of all, this is the old elites from the 1600s, the 15-1600s. Judaism in terms of Torah was very pyramid-like. There was a small group of big scholars at the top, and then there was the Hamunam as he spread around the bottom. I mean, that's the way it went. And, you know, everybody spent some amount of time, all the males, in some sort of uh, traditional Jewish education framework. But you know how it goes. How many people really succeed in that kind of framework? The few that succeed, they're the ones at the top. Isaiah is given. And this is not Poland. These people live in Central Europe, as I made the point last time, mostly in what we would call the Habsburg Empire, so primarily in the kingdom of Bohemia, which once upon a time existed, which is larger than the Czech Republic today. The Czech Republic today is Bohemia Moravia. At that time, they all said Silesia. I'll remind you of that, a big chunk of Poland today. So it was a big area, and it had its own Yiddishkeit. And may I say, the Torah revolution in Poland was introduced by Bohemian rabbis, by Jakob Pollock and people like that. 
So Prague is an old, you know, momish headquarters of high-level Torah study, and so were other communities in Prague that you never heard of, but they survive in terms of names, like Horowitz and places like that, and Nicholsburg and a lot of Abishutz. These are all towns, Kostelitz. These are all little towns in Bohemia, Moravia, that you know because, you know, different rabbis and people, you know, took those names. But uh, they had their share of uh, big learners, uh, e even though the population was not large. And we're talking about late 15th and 1600s. So this is a particular family that I think originally came from Worms, which is why they all ended up going back from Central Europe to Worms, which, of course, is the Eki land that's on the Rhineland, right? Uh, Shum, Spears, uh, uh, Spires, Worms, and Mainz. Uh, even though it was a small community. And I'll tell you one thing, they had bad luck uh, because, especially in Europe, in the old centuries, it wasn't like the Europe of today. You and I are used to living in post-1945 Europe. I mean, raise your hand if you're older than that. If you're, 40, if you're born in 1945, so what are you today? You know, almost 80. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? In other words, most people are under 80. They remember a Europe which has been at peace. It's interesting. There have been no wars between Germany and France and England. Uh, there are no wars between Russia and, I don't know, you know, Poland or whatever, all those countries. There are reasons for it, and I understand about Stalin and communism and, and the Cold War. I get it. But Lamaisa, there have not been wars. Now, only now, only now, recently, has this changed with the Putin war against Ukraine, which is a bloody business. So Putin, for his own reasons, has revived the old long-standing tradition of Europe of having wars all the time. And just as happens in Ukraine today, the people that suffer most are the suckers who are in the wrong battlefield, the wrong place. So that's what it always was. So if you go before 1945, and especially if you go before 1815, it was mamish a war every 10 minutes. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. You know, if we want to have a, a kind of game over here, you know, you could ask the following question. Name the year and tell me where a war was fought in Europe. Because it was every year. You won 1545, you won 1611, you won 1722. You name the year, I'll tell you where the war was going. And I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. If it wasn't between England and France, then it was between Prussia and Austria, or Russia and Lithuania, or the Turks. I mean, it was always wars going on, okay? I'm only mentioning this because I don't think most people realize this. And when we talk about Rishonim, especially Achronim, uh, who lived in Europe, for the most part, uh, over the course of your life, where you live is going to be a war zone. I mean, that, that's, you know, very often how it was. There are exceptions, you know, if you were lucky enough to live in England, I don't know, after, you know, after the Glorious Revolution, you're okay. And, you know, maybe a couple other places, but really, there were always armies going back and forth. And particularly when you talk about Eastern and Central Europe, it was mamish going on all the time. And our heroes, the grandfather, the father, and the son, all lived in places where there was wars going on all the time. And each one of them had his community destroyed. I talked about the Chavisier when the French army burned the whole town down, you know, in, in, the, in Louis XIV wars. We did that once before. If you talk about the grandfather, Avram Shmuel, uh, you know, uh, there, there was uh, these uh, uprisings. Again, immediately he, he, he died, uh, uh, what do you call it? 
just before the Thirty Years' War, if that means anything to you, in 1615, when there was there was a big uh, pogrom that rose from the from within, that the Ghanaian and worms that you know all attacked the Jews, and they all had to run away and things like this, and he died. Uh, now, you just have to understand that's how it went. Uh, you had to live in the right place at the right time, not to have any trouble. So take for example, the Maral lived in Prague in the second half of the 1500s. All right, Nishka Ferlich, Prague didn't have any sieges or wars or stuff like that in the second half of the 1500s. But the Bachrachs, the, the grandfather, the father and the son, lived at a time when Prague was often under siege, as you'll see in a second. Uh, and that destroyed life in, 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 in other places. So, you know, when you do on Rosh Hashanah, you know, me, Nisana Tokiv, you know, me b'shalom, me b'melchama, something like that, right? B'cherev. I mean, people who said daven for this. Most of us today, thank God, are fortunate enough, most of the people listening is fortunate enough to have lived in peaceful countries. You know, hadn't been invaded or anything like this. In North America, in the UK, in, um, you know, British Commonwealth places, things like that. You know, the state of Israel, frankly, has not, thank God, has not been invaded. Uh, hear what I just said? The state of Israel has not been invaded. Uh, Israel has invaded all of it. The state of Israel has not been invaded. That's not a clinicite, right? That's that's a big deal. And that's one of the reasons they, that it's possible to have a revival of Torah study because if there's a war going on, it doesn't work. And our three heroes are perfect examples of this. So the grandfather, Avram Shmuel, uh, was from a real... Uh, what's the right word? Yechizdika uh, family. He was a good learner. And he ended up, they started in Worms, but he ended up moving to Prague because that's where the yeshiva was. And I believe he got the job there. Obviously, he had to have the ability, but he also has to have the, uh, the, the, what it, the protexia, you know, the pull. And I think he got the job, I remember, of the darshan of the city. Darshan in Prague was not what you think. It was a very hush of a post. Abish's leader had that. Even though it's just called darshan, and obviously your your job is to give drushas, but they don't mean drushas like sermons today. You know, had to be very lumpish and things like this. So, to be a darshan in Prague was 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 not a clinicite at all, um, not a clinicite at all. Now, um, because he had all those, um, what do you call it? All those uh, you know qualities. So. Uh, he married, he, he, so he, he married the 15-year-old uh, granddaughter of the Maral, the grandfather of, of the Chabasiar. That's his, uh, one of his claims to fame. So, you know, he came from a rich family, I'm sure, and a very learned guy, and he was very young, but the girl's 15, and the Maral was Masada Kedushin. So, you know, this was the famous superwoman that I talked about with the Chabasiar, Chava who went on to become one of those great Yentl types, you know, that knew all the... I mean, she, according to the reports, I wasn't there, but according to what they say, she knew Bavli, Yushalmi, Medrash, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, she really was highly unusual. And she lived... I mean, obviously she got married, and she moved with the grandfather when he had different rabbi positions in Bohemia, Moravia. You don't have to know all that. Bottom line is he ended up in Worms. But then, as I said before... Um, you know, there was a, a pogrom and the whole hill was like overthrown, so to speak. 
And what was the result? Uh, the, the rabbi left, ran away from the town and died within a month at a young age, you know, relatively young age. So, uh, and he left his wife and children. Oh, well, hold on for a second. Sorry, that was an important rabbi phone call. Um, what was I saying? She was the superwoman. And how uh, she was 30 when her husband died. I, I want you to just understand this. So, this Chava. So, in other words, the grandfather was rabbi for a couple of years and died fairly young. And, uh, you know, from uh, probably shock or something like that from the pogrom. He married his wife when she was 15, so they were married for 15 years. And then he died. And now she's stuck 30-year-old widow, and she never remarried. She had, a, it's a famous story, you know. She had a lot of offers. Obviously, I told you again, she was like a, she could be a Russian Shiva. According to the reports, that's the truth. And um, she never remarried. It's famous that she turned down, what's his name, the uh, Shlaw, <laughs> right? Who was a multimillionaire himself. So she would marry him. You know, she lived the life of Riley, but that's not what she chose to do. And instead, she stuck with her son and family and, you know, proceeded to, mar- to get them all married off and that sort of thing. I mean, you could make a movie out of her. Uh, and, and it really would be true. There was a guy who, back in the 40s, who wrote a book about these uh, superwomen in Israel, I mean, in, in Klal Yisrael, in Tel Aviv, or whatever. Anyway, the, uh, so the bottom line is that that was the story with the grandfather. We'll talk about him shortly. The son, Moshe Shimshin, so now I'm talking about the father of the Chavisir, then, you know, had to proceed. He was a young guy. And, uh, you know, how old was he, you know, when the father died? Very young. I think he was eight years old, if I remember correctly. It's, it's an interesting story. And the mother said like this, I want you to turn into a big rabbi too. So she took, they moved to Prague where she had, after all, she's the granddaughter of the Mara. I mean, she had connections over there, you know what I'm saying? And the son grew up there for in Prague, the, the father of the uh, thing, of the Chavisir. We're talking now about Moshe Shimshon Bachrach. Okay. But... Um, it's in the middle of the Thirty Years' War. Let's put it this way. There broke out in Europe a huge war that lasted for 30 years between the Protestants and the Catholics. And everybody got in it. The French, the Spanish, the, the all the German princes, the Austrians, ah, you na- the Swedish especially. You name it. It was And it was a one bloody business after another. If you were to get an idea how bloody it is, just Google uh, Thirty Years' War images. And you'll see pictures where they hang a hundred people on a tree, you know, after they slice them and dice them. Because people, people, you know, made, made paintings and drawings and that kind of stuff. It's an incredibly bloody and cruel war. And the Jews are simply ducking. Because what's the matter to the Jews? The Protestants beat the Catholics and vice versa, you know. So um, it was a tough business. Growing up then in Prague, which, by the way, is the same time that the Tosis Yanta was there and they messed him over, you know. So growing up in Prague... In the, these times, which would be after 1615, so, you know, 1618, 1620, the war broke out in 1618. Uh, those of you who've been in Prague, will, will, they'll show you where they pushed the guys out of the window, and that started the war, the defenestration of Prague, as they call it. Uh, but anyway, the mother, the superwoman, mother, she has the kids with her, and she marries them off, and she marries the oldest, which is this uh, Moshe Shimshin, to this rich guy, you know, who's Rosh Medina's Moravia. So 
in in Marin, which they call them Ravia, they had lots of little lots and lots of little Jewish communities I've talked about before. And they were united in in, in a, a provincial framework, like a national framework. And there was like somebody who was the president of all the Kahillas. That's got to be the richest guy. And she played the Shaduchin game in such a way that her son married the daughter. But of course, since it's the uh, <laughs> since it's the the what do you call it? The Thirty Years' War, and you know, there's no such thing as insurance. Fortunes come, fortunes go. Particularly if you're talking about Central Europe, to me it's very interesting because Bohemia and Moravia all of a sudden became major war zones. Uh, without boring you with all the details, it's actually very interesting, but I assume most of you are not really interested in the military history of the Thirty Years' War uh, with Wallerstein and uh, Tilly versus Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the war raged very heavily and and believe it or not, Sweden once upon a time was a major world power. Uh, under King Gustav Adolf and after him, he was killed in battle. And his generals, who were very capable, succeed him. And they raided very deeply into the Austrian Empire, into Bohemia and Moravia. And it messed over the Jews simply because you have invasions from Swedish soldiers and they kill and pillage and this and rape and whatever, you name it. You know? And uh, therefore, you know, she lost out in the game. She married her kid off to a millionaire who, like a year later, was broke. <laughs> That's a bummer, <laughs> right? You know, after you planned all your shidduchim strategies and, you know, you worked it all out and this and that and the other, and then because of the exigencies of war, why was he broke? He probably had a lot of property in some place in Moravia and the enemy army came and burned it all down or took it all away, as simple as that. It was, it, you know, that happened all the time, you see? So, uh... The son, therefore, had to become uh, a rov in, in little com in, in, in Moravian communities, uh, like Leipzig, whatever. The mother lived with the son, this oldest son, for many years, till 1650. So you can be sure that I never met her, but she must have been a driving force in his life. You know what I mean? The, let's put it this way. Who's the dominant woman in that household? The wife? Or the mother-in-law, or, or 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 the husband's mother, uh, the wife was the daughter of a millionaire. The husband's mother was, you know, one of the b biggest mulumados ever, and uh, you know, and, and obviously an imposing personality. There's a lot of stories about her and things like that. So it's not your typical rabbinic household. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, the average person sees the Chavis Yoyer, the Shachonik. This it's all rabbis from you know the whatever century. Who knows? It's all. Gemara stuff, and it's all the same. But, you know, when you get down to the level of biography, it's not all the same. <laughs> you understand? And and the human being level, it's actually, everybody has their own human being life. And here's one which was dominated by this superwoman, because there's no question that this Chava was a superwoman. Uh, there's no question about that. And so the son, uh, what do you call it, ends up being a rabbi in this town. But you tell me what happens if it's now the 1630s and 1640s. Any town you're in will sooner or later be attacked by an enemy army. The Swedish army stormed Leipzig, and you go, go Google these things if you're really interested and see, you know, the Swedish invasion of Bohemia or Moravia or something like that. You, you'll, you'll get all the details of the famous Swedish generals you never heard of, Tortensen and the other guys. Uh, and he ends up running away to Prague. In Prague, she was able to jiggle things that he was appointed to Darshan 
which is the job his father had, but it's the wrong time to be in Prague. Because in 1648, which is the last year of the Thirty Years' War, the Swedes very famously made a surprise attack on Prague. This is a very well-known episode in history. And they, uh, it was a big battle in the siege of Prague, back and forth. Uh, Prague being one of the most important cities in the whole Austrian Empire, in many ways. If you've ever been in Prague, and I assume that many people listening to this podcast one time or another have been in Prague. You know, it's a place that a lot of people visit. You'll see there's a big river running through town, the Voltova River. And if you have any idea about uh, the the architecture, you will recall that there's that, that bridge across the river with Yashka on there saying, Kadosh, 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 I'm supposed and all that, which the Catholics made a Jew put up because he spit on the statue and all this kind of business. That bridge was a major battle scene. Because this, oops. Sorry about that. That siege was a uh, that bridge was a major battle scene, because um, that's how far the Swedes got on one side and tried to break in the rest of the city, but the uh, the locals and the Austrians kept them out of the rest of the city. So it's a very famous episode in in uh, Czech history, in Bohemian history, and the Jewish community, by the way, um, supported the Austrians. They were patriotic, and it's famous. If you go to the museum in Prague, you can see that the emperor who they supported, gave him a special flag with a monk and on it and all kind of things, out of gratitude, and all this kind of shtick, which the Jews used to parade around with every once in a while to show that they were loyal to the government. You know how that works. And um, and the result was that um, he picked the wrong time to be a darshan over there. And so by the time it's over, he says, uh, uh, he's looking for another stellar. And the mother, now if it's 1650, and she was 15 when she got married, she was an older woman, obviously, you know. So uh, she, uh, he ended up going back to Worms, okay, um, where he was a rabbi there for tw- the last 20 years of his life. The mother went to Eretz Yisrael, okay? So in other words, having, you know, been a major presence in the, in the, in the life and career of her son, she moved to Israel, except she died on the way, which is very common in those days because travel, especially she went by land. That was really um, difficult. Mitzad the health. You understand? Um, when you went, if you're not from that region and you go to another region, I think the more even says this, uh, you know, you're really taking your life in your hands. Uh, that's why the European armies can never fight well in the Balkans. They have their own diseases there and their own this and that and the other. Today, we have modern medicine, but they didn't at that time. I'll give you an example what I'm talking about. Tell me what would have happened in World War II if we would have sent the Marines and the GIs to go fight the Japanese in all these islands and they wouldn't have had penicillin, these other shots that they gave you against the mosquitoes, the bugs, and who knows what. The soldier would be dropping like flies from the insects. You get what I'm saying? We, 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 we you know, don't give this proper announcement. And today, if you ever go to a third world country, even a not third world country, you better get your shots, as they say. Well, what if you don't have shots? You're taking your life in your hands. So when you see people said they're going to Eretz Yisrael, it's tough enough if you go from Europe, let's say, for example, by ship, and you were land in, uh, you know, in Haifa, Nako, or one of those places, Beirut. Even then, a lot of people caught something and died pretty quickly, like the Ramchal, for example, and his family. That's one thing. But if you go by land 
across Europe. So you're going, look at the map of Europe. You're going across from Germany into Hungary, you're crossing the Danube into the Balkans, and what we call today Bulgaria, and then Constantinople. I mean, you're picking up junk right and left, and your immune system isn't ready for it. So it's not surprising that she went down a lot. I mean, if somebody ever counted up how many Jews died on the way, Teretz Yisrael, on the way, the number would not be small. So uh, we take, I'll tell you again, we take for granted. Now, modern Israel has good health, and uh, I don't think you need any shots. And you get on a plane, and you're there in a few hours. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different Messias. But it wasn't like that then. So our hero, this Moshe Bachrach, ended up being the Rav in Worms, which means in the 1650s and 1660s, let me just think now, I think Worms was also a battlefield for a while over there. I think the the, the 1650s, 1660s was the right time to be in Worms because there were a lot of wars between King Louis XIV of France and the and the uh, invading armies in uh, Alsace-Lorraine, which is where worms are on the Rhineland, but I think in the 1650s, 1660s, the French armies were operating elsewhere, more like in Belgium type area and that kind of thing. That's the famous Condé and Touraine, you know, those famous generals. Um, it, this, the grandson had the misfortune of being in Worms de Rove at the time when the French armies were mamish over there. And I told you, they burned the whole town down at one point. So, uh, on purpose. So, you know, it all depends when and where you live, okay? Depends on where you, when you live. Now, um, having said that, uh, yeah, I was interrupted there. Anyway, if you look in these, so I told you they have some of these uh, very celebrated um, uh, controversies, which are totally forgotten today, except by uh, big scholars. And last time I talked about the fight that engaged everybody's opinion on that Kohen, in which our hero weighed in, that's Avram Shmuel, ended up being in the Chudashani. So the other one, as far as I'm aware, I, mean, I don't know them all, is the one about the guy who uh, faked out the Chalitza. Uh, here you have family scandals, so to speak, in the uh, children and grandchildren, whatever, of the morale. Because I just told you, um, our hero, which is Avram Shmuel Bachrach, was, the, was married to the granddaughter of the morale, right? So notice he married the daughter of Morel's daughter. I think her name was Fegala. But the Morel had other daughters as well. And uh, one of them married this guy Wallerstein, you know. And uh, Wallerstein, by the way, is the same name as the Tosis Yontov. They're all related. All the, you know, rich rich families are related. And, um, uh, and, and learned families, let's put it that way. And I, I'm sure you know the the Tosis Yant, among other things, was a Talmud of the Morale for a while. So, I mean, they really are all related. Now, um, there was a big scandal, as you'll see in a second. Or uh, I, when I say scandal, I don't mean in, in, in like the Trump or something like that. But a big Tuara, uh, uh, um, revolving a Chalitza. And I told you all the good fights, the juicy fights, are about divorces or Chalitzas or things like that. Because they always leave the question, can the girl get married now or not, you know. And um, one of the interesting ones, which was written up and then the Kuntras was lost, or maybe they wanted to make it lost, and in the end, there was one copy in the British Museum or someplace like that, in Bodleian Library, and 
the the uh, what I want to say is that the Zichron Yaakov a number of years ago uh, put out something uh, which they call Asifas Gaonim Chadash. It's Shalos and Shubas Asifas Gaonim Chadash, and they include over there a number of these um, you know contrasts which were around and big uh, a big deal once upon a time that are unknown today uh, by and large. Uh, one of the things they did in the Italian stuff was the, was the contrast of the Mikvah of Ravigo, which I've never gone into uh, with you. Um, and, you know, there's a whole writing, and at least you have, with the Zichron Yaakov, Zichron Aaron, you have good square letter, you know, it's, it's very readable. So one of them is called the Kundras Chalitza Psula, in which our hero played a very controversial part, Avram Shmuel, and uh, had to do, as they say before, so in other words, they have, it's not very long, you know, it's a couple of chubas on a certain thing, and um, had to do with weird activity. I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to present this to you uh, in the simplest, in the simplest um, uh, way, okay? But uh, involved, as I would say before, um, you know, the uh, somebody was married to the granddaughter of the morale, okay, Abraham Wallerstein. Um, the Abraham Wallerstein was, actually, I said it wrong. Abraham Wallerstein, who's the Chalitza guy here, is actually the son-in-law of Morel. That's better. Yeah. The Morel is right. So, the, let me remember now. The Bachrach, that was a, a Fagala, and this family, Wallerstein, this is Reichel. You know, Reichel. That's another daughter of the Morel. And, um, so they're all related in one way or the other. And uh, the bottom line is, so this guy, Avram Wallerstein, had a brother who um, who had a brother who who died without children. He was actually killed by the Goyim. They always say in the, all these countries that the morale said that this brother was killed by the Goyim for some reason or another is B'mechitzas Asar Haruga Malchus. He was a big tzaddik. Uh, that's quite an expression. The morale of Prague says that this guy was killed by the guy is now considered one of the Haru is a Mechitzasim Shom Asaru Gemalchus. I mean, you're talking about Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Gamliel, you know, it's, that's a pretty big statement. And yet, uh, let, let me put it this way the morale is, is, is the guy to say it. I mean, you know, <laughs> how are you going to respond to that? Anyhow, whatever the case is, um, so the this Wallerstein guy now had to do chalitza in order to let her get married. Um, so this was not his wife; it was his brother's wife. And her father was a takav shabbatiki from one of these rich, richy, rich, uh, tough ball types. I mean, like really bad news. Okay, and to make matters worse, um, as I said before, this is the era when you had pyramid society. So in other words, the big rabbis. Not rarely, we're also big businessmen, you know, doing deals and back and forth. And so the Yavam, in other words, Avram Wallerstein, uh, had a lot of, um, what's the right word, economic disputes with the with his brother's father-in-law, and those with, 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 with the father of the Yavama. So ordinarily, who cares? But now, all of a sudden, you get to see the picture. Uh, they're fighting like cats and dogs over money. And, I mean, they really were. And... Apparently, the, according to the story, the way it's written up, the father-in-law, known as the father of the Yavama, 
was a real son of a gun who wouldn't listen to Bayesden or anything like that because he was connected well with the Geisha authorities and therefore he figured heck with them, uh, which was, of course, a scandal. But he could get away with it because he's going to tell him off. You know, if you, you tell him off, he'll beat you up. I mean, really. So, or, or worse. And so, um, so let's put it this way. So they had their fights. But now this guy has a tool against his father-in-law in the money fights. Now, not his father-in-law. The fa- he's the Yavam and the father of the Yavama. And, you know, basically, I won't give her a Khalitsa unless we settle this in a basin somewhere or other. So you can, you can say, what a jerk, you know, he's he's allowing uh, something like this to affect, you know, her future to affect by money matters. On the other hand, his claim was like this, listen, I just want to get this settled. Take it to a basin, you know, any reputable basin, let them do a Chosha Mishpah division, let them figure out what the din is, and let's move on. Uh, you know, we'll split the difference or something like it, whatever the basin says. The father-in-law, the Yom's, Yom's father, at least according to the accounts, was one of these guys who had to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, 50% was a defeat for him. He had to win. Okay? And the result was that they had bitter fights, one and the other. But now, since he, the other guys got him by the throat because, you know, he needs his consent to give a chalitza for his daughter so his daughter can get remarried, uh, as you understand. I mean, it wasn't her fault that her husband got killed by Goyim. So, um, they made some kind of chart. In other words, they, 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 they worked out some kind of a deal. That means, this, this is how life was lived once upon a time. He had his lawyer, and the other guy had his lawyer. When I say lawyer, no, some rabbi somewhere. And they argued like cats and dogs till they came out to some kind of emek ashava. And they signed on it, and this and that and the other. And, um... So let's, for argument's sake, say they settled 50-50. I mean, there was no winner, you know, and they settled 50-50. However much money you say I owe you, however much money I say you owe me, we kind of, you know, split it somehow or other. I don't know that to be exactly the case, but something along those lines. And um, which you, which didn't comport with the way the tough guy usually came out, which is he never settled for 50-50. He always wanted to be the winner. You get 100% of what he wins from the other guy. There are people like that, as you know. Uh, not in my listening audience, but <laughs> there are people like that out there. And the result was that um, they worked this stuff out and the guy's going to go and give Chalitza. But when he came to, the, somehow or other, he was induced to come to a town to do the Chalitza where the father-in-law was tight with the local authorities, like with the Bohemian nobility and all that, he could kill him. You understand? Know he, 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 he could do physical harm to him. That's, that's what it seems over here. The language is very flowery. That's why I'm, I'm not reading inside, even though I'm tempted to. Uh, the, the simplest and easiest pre- presentation of the facts is in the Lavush, meaning in this Kuntris, which is published by the Zichron Aaron, they give the the Levushes a, a weighing in on it, and he was far away from the actual thing. If you look in our hero, in Avram Shmuel, it's very detailed and all the rest, very flowery. I'll read you very briefly a, a, one paragraph the way the Levush describes it. So I had a case of Yavama that she falls in front of Ruven. You and I know that's Avram Wallerstein. Oh, Lachla, so saw. 
you know, in other words, you're going to do yibam, you're going to chalitza. Obviously, chalitza. But there was money fights between the Yavam and the Aviyah, and they came out to some kind of an agreement. And apparently, both sides were not 100% satisfied with the Pshar that was worked out. And the Yavam, who actual, you know, I mean, if it's a Chalitza, he has to be there and she has to be there, you know, and then pull off the shoe and all the rest of it. So, uh, I mean, it's a Chalitza. So, um, he came to a town uh, near where the girl's father was located, to make a final settlement of the money matters between them and then do the Chalitza. But when he got there, he was warned, you're now in the territory controlled by the father-in-law, by the girl's father, right? The Yavama's father. And, you know, because he's tight with the local guy, he can do whatever he wants. He can kill you. So basically, it's like he's he felt he's being lured into a place where he'll have to sign a new thing Basically, letting the father-in-law win a hundred percent as he always does, not just settle fifty percent. So what's he and and he can't run away because he was already like in the territory controlled by the father-in-law. You see how life was lived once upon a time among these elite types. I talk about the richy riches that people make fun of me. It's not it's not funny. So the yavam who's coming to perform the chalitza got scared. The father-in-law. I'll call him the father-in-law. You know what I mean? It's the girl's father. So uh, he's going to harm him. And he couldn't wiggle out of it. So he's got to go ahead and do the chalitza. But of course, once he does the chalitza, then the father-in-law doesn't need him anymore. And then he'll bring in his geisha goon squad and they'll get the guy to sign away everything, you know. And therefore, he said he's going to be Maser Modar. Now, he's going to call in some witnesses and say, whatever I'm about to do doesn't count because it's being done under duress, which is a device in Jewish law. I'm telling you now, right now, that um, um, if the, what do you call it? I'll tell you, hold, hold on one second. I'm sorry, but today is one of those days. That's how it goes. Uh, I'm telling you right now that this girl's father is going to force me to cancel the original shard that we signed and do a second one, which obviously I'm going to get financially screwed, of course. And I just want you to know, Moser Modah, that it, you know, it's being done against my will. This shouldn't count. Whatever I signed. Um... Uh, I'm being forced. And it was a real truth case. And the Adam could, you know, we're not just taking his word, they could see the onus. Once he did that, then he went to see the father in law, who, of course, forced him to, you know, completely renegotiate the deal that he wins 100%, you know, like that. That the father in law wins 100%. 
And now he's going to go ahead and do the chalitza. Uh, and the father-in-law will have the triumph. But this guy said, I guess, I'm going to get him. So our hero, I want to repeat, he's the son of the morale. Okay? So our hero, the uh, Avram Wallerstein guy, he says, he said, I'm going to figure out some trick to make it that the chalitza is really puzzle, and then I'll get the heck out of here. They won't know it. And once I'm safely far away, I will reveal how I made it puzzle. And then he will be back to square one. And that son of a gun, my father-in-law, my perspective, uh, you know, the, the, the father of the Yavoma, whatever you call him, uh, he won't have gotten me, I'll have gotten him, and I'll insist on the original Bshara. And I won't go near the daughter again a second time to do the Chalitza, Kedasa Kedin, unless I get, you know, satisfied on the Bshara stuff. He's not going to do that to me again. So what was the Tachbula? What was the trick? They asked him, are you a, 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 a right? Uh, you, do you walk on your right leg or your left? So he faked it out. I think he said he was a, a lefty when really he was a righty. Okay? And so they put the shoe on the right uh, uh, foot. And really it was supposed to be in the left foot. But in other words, he, he said it, he said that, what he called, that um, after it's all over, he said they put it on the wrong foot. And the question now becomes, what happens? And our hero, Abram Wallstein, says like this, I did this because I was under duress. They had a gun against my head. I'm not trying to be a bad guy. Right? I'm not trying to be a bad guy. I'm willing to go ahead with the do chalitza. After all, what do I get gained that she should suffer? But not with all this financial junk that he's trying to, to pile on me to win 100%. Right? And now what's the story? Because obviously her side said that this this uh, this uh, chalitza counts. So... It's all a big contrast. They asked all these big shilas. Apparently, it was a big fight because it's an elite family with a gitten or a chalitza. I told you, that's where you get all the fights. And the Lavush, the Maharsha, by the way, other people like that write these chubas on there. I think the Bach. All, everybody had something to say on the subject. Our hero, it's in the Chalice Chubas Chut Hashani. However, it seems to be under the name of somebody else, which seems to interpret, it seems to mean the following. That uh, think about what I'm saying. Our hero, Avram Shmuel Bachrach, is a relative. He's related over here. Uh, he doesn't want to get into in, into a fight with these rich and powerful guys if he can if he can avoid it, because they'll go after him. On the other hand, he doesn't want to keep his mouth shut if he thinks that you know Avram Wallstein won, and so he publishes his teshuva under somebody else's name, <laughs> right? Somebody who recently died, David Kitzingen or something like that. And what they say is, you see how life was? They, what he says is 
that, what do you call it, that um, they're trying, this is a child that so-and-so got, and, and, he, and, and whoever it is that published the contrast, whatever, they're publishing under somebody else's name. The arguments are the same arguments. The, the riots are the same riots. It shouldn't matter, you know, what name it's under. And it seems to be that, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's uh, you know, trying to have his cake and eat it, so to speak. Now, when you see the actual Nusach over here, you can see that it's much more uh, dramatic than the matter-of-fact account that you found in Levush. That's what historians like to do. They try to see two different accounts of the same story and where they match and don't match. You know, just for the heck of it, why not? I'll, I'll read it for you very quickly. This is in the Chutashani, which he's putting under uh, somebody else's name, you know. And he's saying, this is in 1609, by the way. No names, but there's Reuben and Shimon. And Reuben had a lot of tvias, a lot of claims against Shimon. His middle didn't come upon him. But Shimon lo din. So Reuben would be the uh, Avram Wallerstein, and Shimon would be the father of the girl. And he summoned him to the base, and the guy didn't come. Lo din. He's too powerful to, to, to affect. And they threatened the richy rich father-in-law, with Cherem, they blew out the candles, you know, all that stuff. He wouldn't listen. He's so powerful, he's like a snake. So, let's put it this way. It's not exactly that this is a uh, unbiased presentation of the events, but I'm going to assume that this is true. That uh, meanwhile, some a, a good fortune happened to Ruvain. Good fortune in the financial sense. Enough about some of that um, that the husband died of the uh, of, of the Avoma, and now she's the Avoma. In other words, they had this money fight before she was the Avoma, and now good fortune struck the I'm Wallerstein that now he's got a leverage. And since he had the leverage, the father of the girl was afraid now that he won't his daughter won't get chalitza unless he agrees to go to Beisden. This pashim is kashnei mekesh amis kiroi muktzah shitin shimon leruvein sachag gavaravay. So they signed an agreement that whereby the richy rich guy would 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 give like I say fifty percent whatever some amount of money sachag gavaravay nice chunk of money to the prospective cholates. But abuzeit and paturma kol erum sheyol alamazeh. And in return, uh, the Avram Wallerstein will sign a letter. How do you say it in English? You know, no more claims against you. You know, we'll settle with this. In Beisden, and he won't claim to 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 get the money of the dead husband. He's not asking for money for the chalitza, which you know they they could do extortion like that. He's he's an honorable guy. He just wants the money that's owed to him. And they agree in a certain place in between the two of them to the Chalitza and in a place where uh, the Yavam could have assurance that the father of the girl won't, won't hurt him and he won't inform him to the authorities uh, because you know in those, uh, you want to know what life was like just read the Tosis Yontov account it's the exact same time what they do? Somebody said some Loshnar, next thing you knew, he was in jail in Prague, right? You remember that? Vahiyom, from the same type of Richie Riches. Vahiyom, 
When <coughs> the time came to go to the appointed place, when the, the Yavam showed up, the other side hadn't showed up, the girl and, and, and her father hadn't shown up, even though they were supposed to, the instead of going to the place that they both agreed on, which was neutral territory and therefore was physically safe for the Yavam, the girl's father sent a shliach to speak to him very flatteringly and very uh, oily, oozingly, to say, you know, let's not do the 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 chalitza in uh, New York. Let's do it in Philly. Obviously, because he had the mafia on his side in Philly and not in New York. You get it. The plan was to get him to Philly, and then the, the guy would, he could use the guy, goon squad. Because the girl's father was tight with the Bohemian authorities in that place. See how life was lived? And the Yavim was dumb enough to do it, and he went there. He came to that place. Okay, can't let it call it Philadelphia. And when he was going to get ready to sign the money stuff, which, in other words, you give me what I want, and I'll sign a start that you don't owe me more money. The father put in new conditions over there. Do you have any claims against the Yavam? that the late uh, brother-in-law, uh, late brother, I should say, had been a business partner of his, and therefore there were debts that were owed to this live brother from the business they did to get with the brother, and now the father-in-law is saying, you have to sign it all away, which is never part of the original uh, business. Plus, the father-in-law now insists that he give unilateral payments to uh, the father-in-law's side. And other money. You know what I mean? Notice, I told you, he wanted to win 100%. And the Yavim said, I agreed to what I agreed to. I don't want to sign anything more. And if you want, we can go to Beisman. The bottom line is that we can go to Basin. But the girl's father didn't agree to any of those. And he said, I'll use my context to uh, kill you, to beat you up. So he saw that he's trapped. That's where he did. And he said, you know, I'm not really agreeing to anything. I'm signing to give away more money than was agreed in the first place. And then he did his trick. Okay? Then he did his shtick, which was... Uh, so he went in the combo from the father-in-law. And he pretended to be on the wrong foot, and therefore they put the the the, the issue on the wrong foot, and now he's saying, you know, so on and so forth.
So uh, this is the kind of, let's say, I'm not going to call it tempered as a teapot because it's not. I mean, a girl's uh, fate was at stake. Although not really. Let me put it this way. He said, you see, it's all about money. That's my point. He said, I'm willing to do the Chalitza Kedasik at any time, provided we settle all of our financial disputes in Beisden. You know, let's agree upon a Beisden, and so on and so forth. I mean, what's wrong with that? Right? Now, again, to be perfectly honest, when you read these countresses, you're reading one side. Right? You don't know, you know, what's on the other side. It doesn't sound like the guy was honest or something like that. You, you never know. I mean, True. You never know. But on the other hand, it, it does sound like, you know, you're dealing with... Let me put it this way. This type of alum, as they call him, this violent guy, this takif shebetekifim, the guy who uses his geisha uh, contacts, you know, to to defy Beisdins and mess up the um, justice system, it was not uncommon. If you lived in, in the communities long ago, I mean, you simply had to duck and bury, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Make trouble and, and, and you can get yourself hurt or your children or something like that. So when you lived in these kind of communities, it could be sometimes it was a reign of terror. And that is an old phenomenon in Judaism. And that's why the Gemara says that who burns in hell or something like that? Parnas shemat shalosh shemayim. You know, if you have these officers in the community, they just terrorize everybody. And uh, what does the Gemara say? They burn on and on and on and something like that. You had these situations. Uh, and at least according to what we can see, these people we're dealing with now, the grandfather, the son, and the grandson, the Chavisir, were not like that. Uh, you know, they were straight shooters. But straight shooters operating in a, how should I call it, kind of an anarchy environment. Because we like to think we like to imagine, oh, the old communities of old, you had a basin, everything was masudr, and everybody listened to the din, and so on and so forth. And not so push it. You see, not so push it. Uh, that's why the Chut Hashani has a lot of fascinating reads, uh, uh, readings on this. If anybody wants to see the full business uh, with all the, the opinions, I wouldn't get it in the Chut Hashani, I would get it in this um, other thing, which is around now. It's one of those Zikr and Aaron reprint uh, books, which I think they did a good job, even though some people don't. And uh, it's called Sheol Setshubas Asifas Agonim HaChadosh. You look, you'll see. It's called Kuntras HaChalitza Psulo. Uh, and uh, this is how life was lived once upon a time. Anyway, just wanted to share that point over there. I, that's why I find the Chud HaShani to be interesting, among other reasons. And uh, uh, I'm just sharing with you big fights that, that you know, that were like storms. They came and then they went. But meanwhile, all the big hitters, you know, uh, weighed in on it, and therefore you find the sugya to be very malubin. Like, what do you do nowadays if somebody, you know, p- puts the chalitz issue on the wrong foot? And, uh, you know, or if he makes a claim that, you know, he was a, he's a lefty, he's really a righty, righty and a lefty, and how do you know, and can someone switch, and all the rest of it. These are all the technical stuff that get involved with the chalitza business. But anyhow, behind it all, even though everybody claimed that they were standing on the din, behind it all was bucks. You know, when they say it's not about money, it, it's about money. Again, I want to thank uh, Dr. Shapiro, and uh, especially when, when it was a... Uh, a real full shlema and, and all the help we can 
to Pinchas Treisman and Treisman in in West Orange, and I hope that we'll hear uh, good news from uh, his matzah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.